What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to the Film Fan Podcast. I don't know why I'm saying welcome back. This is actually my first episode. And, yeah, I'm Steve Barton II, and this is my first solo podcast. Usually I do them with other people, but I decided I wanted to have a companion podcast to my YouTube channel, the Film Fan Reviews, and just talk about everything that I don't necessarily want to make a whole video on, and talk about movies with other people sometimes, talk about things in theaters that I've gone to, everything like that, and just everything about film, and even sometimes life, because life is about film for people that went to film school like myself. And I just want to talk about my journey and everything about that, and I think it'll be a lot of fun, so stick around for a while and let's chat. So the first topic on the agenda today is one of the last theater experiences I had because it was a bit more unique than usual. I actually went to a drive-in theater, which isn't the first time I've gone, but it's the first time I went this year. I've gone several times throughout my childhood and growing up in the past few years. I love going. It's one of my favorite experiences. I think the first time that I personally remember was back in 2006 when we went and saw Madagascar. Usually there's double features, but I have no idea what they played afterwards. I don't even know if we even stayed, but it was a ton of fun. I got addicted immediately, and... We go almost every summer, at least for the past few years especially, and it's just a ton of fun with the family to just sit outside under the stars and watch a couple movies and eat popcorn and just enjoy the theatrical experience in a different setting, which is sometimes cool, sometimes not the best, but most of the time it's pretty fun. You don't have to worry about people on their phones and stuff because you're pretty spread apart, but it's a good time. Now for this trip to the drive-in, my parents accompanied me as well as my brother Jake. And we went and saw a couple movies this time. It was Free Guy, which I have already seen, and so did Jake. And if you want to know my thoughts on that, you can go ahead and check out my video on my YouTube channel, The Film Fan Reviews. And my thoughts haven't really changed since then on the second viewing, so go ahead and check out that video. And we also saw Jungle Cruise. Now, I really enjoyed Jungle Cruise. It wasn't my favorite thing in the world. I think it's a... Not a typical Disney movie, I would say. It's a very paint-by-numbers adventure movie, but I don't think it was necessarily, like, too much for children. I think it's kind of well-balanced for adults and children, but it runs over two hours, which it definitely felt long, especially after already watching Free Guy, but it's a fun time, especially with The Rock being there. He's a, always a fun guy to be around, especially with his comedy, which he definitely leans into in this role, kind of a goofy boat captain who is you it reveals more about him throughout the story but he's just a funny silly guy for the most part and he's accompanied with emily blunt who is also fantastic especially at playing the straight man next to the bumbling idiot type deal which i really enjoyed that dynamic but by far my two favorite people in the movie were paul giamani and jesse plemons which I think a lot of people know who Paul Giamatti is. I don't need to stand up here and tell you what he's been in. He's great, and if you haven't seen him, especially see Sideways. That's probably his best movie by far, in my opinion, but I digress. Jesse Plemons, by the way, too, if you've never seen him, he's in, like, Breaking Bad. I forget what the character's name is, but he was very iconic in that show. And Game Night especially, where he plays the cop. If you haven't seen that, those are two of the roles that I always remember when I'm thinking about Jesse Plemons, but both he and Paul Giamatti play amazing villains in this movie. They definitely lean into it, especially with it being a Disney movie. They don't have to hold back and kind of play it more subdued, maybe, but 
they lean into the goofiness and it makes the movie way more enjoyable in my opinion. And they actually just announced that they're doing sequels to this movie, so I'm on board. It's not my favorite on my letterbox. You can follow me there. There'll probably be a link somewhere. I rated it a three and a half out of five, but I really need to watch it again because if I'm being completely honest with you, which, yeah, I'll be completely honest, I dozed off a couple times because, like I said, we already watched Free Guy and the movie started at like 10 o'clock at night and I'm like a 25-year-old, 60-year-old man. So... I dozed off a little bit, especially with it being over two hours. I think that was a bit of a mistake, but I digress again. And Yeah, I think it's still a fun movie, and if you want to take the family, I'm sure the kids will get a kick out of some of the CGI animals and everything, and it's just a really fun time. Now, when it comes to other movies I've watched recently, I really wanted to talk about the second Fear Street movie, which, if you don't know, the Fear Street movies are a series of three movies on Netflix right now that are... I think adaptations from R.L. Stein's not his Goosebumps books, obviously, but he also wrote a series around the same time, I believe, that was called Fear Street. It was intended for, like, more teenage audience rather than children for Goosebumps, but this movie was a blast to watch, especially if you're a fan of, like, the Friday the 13th series. There are so many references to, like, the slashers of the 70s. All the score, especially, you definitely, they captured that Friday the 13th feeling, and especially when the killer comes around and everything, I loved it so much. The camp setting, obviously, was Friday the 13th, and there's a lot of different references to, like, Halloween and everything, too, and the horror genre of the 70s, which is always a blast for me, and yeah, it was just really fun. The cast was great, all the different shot types. They made the movie look like it came from that period, which is always a blast. The first movie in the 90s was really cool, too. I didn't love it as much as this one, because... They kind of overused the 90s soundtrack a little bit in the first one, in my opinion, but they definitely captured that Scream feeling, which is always good, because that's one of my favorite series. And yeah, if you're a fan of horror and everything, I think those Fear Street movies are really fun. The first one and this one do have a bit of the more dramatic stuff and a bit overdramatic sometimes that feels a little CW-esque, but I still really enjoyed it, and I think a lot of horror fans can get a kick out of these, and I haven't watched the third movie yet, but once I do, I will let you guys know my thoughts, but yeah, I heard it's great, so I'm really looking forward to it. Oh yeah, and James A. Janice is covering the Fear Street movies on Dead Meat right now, and he goes into a bunch of the behind-the-scenes stuff that is super interesting, so if that's of any interest to you, definitely check out that too. The next movie I want to talk about is actually a one that I was recommended by my friend Eric. So shout out to you, Eric. He recommended me the movie The Editor, which I had not really heard of. I had it on my shutter list, but didn't really look into it that much. But he knows that I love horror, especially horror comedy, and this one is 100% a horror comedy. It is a movie that is kind of spoofing, but also kind of a love letter to the giallo Italian horror genre that happened probably in the 70s and 80s I want to say and I've seen some movies out of there like I know Suspiria came out of there and a few other things that I've seen and the editor is 100% just so much fun and definitely captures everything about that genre that makes it fun and unique even the techno rock soundtrack that they have when the killer comes in and everything that shit is just so funny to me and also very entertaining and keeps you, like, interested because you're like, what's going to happen next? Because they just keep doing more crazy and crazy stuff. 
The thing you see a lot too is the POV shots from the killer, which is always interesting. Kind of makes you feel like a Halloween, Friday the 13th type feeling again too. And my favorite thing is the dubbing that they have in this because they are already speaking English and they dub over it with obvious ADR dialogue with English. They dub English with English just to make it sound like they were dubbing it for English from Italian. So, so much fun here. They do everything right, and it's just a blast to watch. If you're a film fan, this is something you need to check out, especially if you know your horror history and know about Giallo films. I think you will adore this movie like I did. They also take the time to show some old-style editing, which... As an editor myself, not a very great one, but if you want to hire me, I'm pretty good. And they show the old style of actually cutting the film and everything, and kind of the studio lingo, and even showing how people were so shitty and misogynistic back then. I'll say back then, but it probably is still happening, but I digress. But it's just a really good movie, and if you are interested in any way in your horror history or want to learn more about Giallo films, like my friend Eric, who didn't know about Giallo films until he watched this movie, definitely check it out, because I think it's a really fun watch. I also decided to watch the first Kissing Booth movie on Netflix recently, which I will explain why, because trust me, I was not interested in watching The Kissing Booth that much, but I had a pretty much it commentary track, which... If you haven't listened to any Pretty Much It stuff, I highly recommend at least checking out the YouTube channel because Eric is hilarious on there. They do hilarious movie commentaries, which I subscribe to their Patreon, so I have all their different commentaries that they have for a bunch of different movies and TV shows. And They had one for Kissin' Booth, they have them for all three Kissin' Booth movies, so I decided, what the hell, I'll check it out, and by God, this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It's disgustingly written. I mean, it was written by, I guess, like a young girl on like Wattpad or whatever, which I didn't know what that was until I looked stuff up about this movie, but apparently it was like a story that she made up, maybe about her life, I don't know, but a lot of it feels kind of gross and irresponsible, but it's shot really well, so there's that, and when I watched it with the commentary track with these dudes making jokes over it, it was a blast to watch, so... Does it have value? Yes. Is it acted okay? Sure, sometimes, but there's a lot that's really bad with it and kind of just flat out inappropriate. And if you want to check it out, you can. I'd recommend listening to a commentary track of some sort with it maybe because it made my experience better, but it is not a good movie and I'm going to watch the other one so I'll let you know what I think. But right now, it has a good camera operator and some good cinematography, but yeah. I wouldn't really recommend The Kissing Booth, but I'm going to watch the other ones. And while I'm wrapping up this podcast, I do want to talk about the new Candyman movie that just came out in the theaters. I actually just watched it yesterday, and I'm probably going to do a video on my YouTube channel, so I don't want to go too in-depth, but my first thoughts here were, I really loved this movie. It is so good. It holds up to the original. I think I even enjoy this one more than the original. I believe the director's first name is Nia, Nia DeCosta or something like that. I might have that totally wrong, but I think it's Nia. She did a fantastic job. She's the first African-American woman to have the number one film in the box office. I don't know if that's just in general or for horror, but regardless, she earned it, did a fantastic job. The horror is done so well and subtly, too. There are some that's very graphic, but it's a bit of a slow burn like the original is at points, and... 
this is done so well and the social commentary is so strong so many different points that she makes that are so so good between her and Jordan Peele writing this I think there's another writer on it as well and they all just did a fantastic job with not only paying tribute to the original but expanding on the universe and making it so so good so if you're thinking about checking out Candyman do it but I will tell you right now I'm looking at a mirror right now and there's no way in hell I'm saying it five times or even saying it again because I don't know how any of this works so not taking any chances but if you want to check out Candyman I would highly recommend it especially if you're a fan of the original and I think that's gonna be it for today guys I hope you enjoyed my first podcast. Please let me know what you think about it. And if you want to subscribe, please, please do so. Check out my YouTube channel. I upload there every week. And I think I'm going to make that Candyman video this week. So definitely check that out. And yeah, follow me on my Letterboxd account. You'll be able to find all of my links to my social media on my YouTube videos and page. So yeah, thank you so much for listening to this. And I hope you enjoyed it.